Yeah, just to give a really disgusting example. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Yo, we kept it pretty PG thirteen this whole time. So. Well, I remember we might get happen. new listeners from from for our podcast from this. <laughs> Welcome to Deep Thoughts, Science and Social Justice. I'm your host, Party, and this is an interview podcast where we take a deep dive into the struggles, triumphs, and personal stories of minorities in the sciences, arts, and public service. The goal of these interviews is to have candid, first-person conversations about the role of race, gender, and socioeconomic status in politics, the sciences, and beyond. As you listen to these undocumented experiences, I hope we demonstrate the value of diversity and recognize the inequities that exist in the daily lives of minorities in this country. On this episode, we'll be talking to Lola and Carla, two psychotherapists in training. They host a podcast called My Therapist Said, and it's all about normalizing mental health issues and going to psychotherapy. Every week, they bring a psychological topic to the table, which they discuss, explain, interpret, and then elaborate through the things they learn during their studies, personal life experiences, as well as their own therapy. On this episode, we'll be having a broader discussion about the effect of toxic work environment on women's mental health, both short-term and long-term. We may also be delving into the imbalance of domestic labor, the gender pay gap, and importantly, the mental health issues and mental health burden of sexual harassment. This may be through a historic lens, a psychoanalytic lens, or a cultural lens, and maybe even delve into the research a little bit so with that lola carla welcome to deep dot science and social justice thank you so much for having us yeah thank you we're excited to talk to you i gotta say i'm a fan of your podcast like i've been <laughs> listening to a lot of your episodes like seriously that you guys are great today i was listening to the episode number number 36 episode about about the long winding road, group dynamics. I listened to the hysteria episode, Freud's legacy episode, gaslighting. They're really awesome. And why I love your podcast is because it's different from other mental health podcasts because, as I mentioned, it's grounded in actual science and history and scientific literature. You cite researchers and you kind of blend it into a modern day interpretation of a lot of these issues and I think for these reasons, I'm a huge fan. And so before we get to the question of this episode, why are young women who are entering the workforce still encountering pervasive harassment and what we can do about it? Can you explain, uh, briefly explain to the audience what the difference is between what is contemporarily accepted as therapy and what is psychotherapy? Because I've been going to therapy for almost a year now and How's that going? <laughs> it, it's like it's 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 hard. It's hard because early on mm-hmm. I was trying to. It's hard to click with a really great therapist. Totally. It takes time to figure out if this is the right therapist okay. for you. It's kind of like dating. It takes a little time to you know figure out if they're the right therapist. So you ask some questions, mm-hmm. get to know them. And my first few therapists, I didn't really enjoy. They were just kind of like saying yes and agreeing with me and saying yes you're right and just ingratiating me and not really providing me any pathways they were just they weren't they're only validating my feelings it just felt like I was talking to myself for a long time instead of showing me that they understand human behavior and helping me to understand my own feelings it didn't feel like I was talking to a professional or Mm -hmm. somebody who understood mental health so I was listening to your podcast. I was like, hmm, this actually sounds like a scientist, like an expert in mental health. So could you explain for the audience who don't understand what the difference is between psychotherapy and regular therapy? Yeah, so I think psychotherapy, I, I think we'd have to word it a bit different. So psychotherapy is a very general term. Psychotherapy can be kind of any therapy, can be behavioral therapy, it could be psychoanalysis. Um, I think the real difference for me is more the difference between 
psychotherapy and counseling. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So I think counseling is really just somebody that doesn't have as much of an education in mental health. It's a much shorter training. It's somebody who's really just there to support you. It's somebody who's there to just kind of be there for you, be there to listen to you, be there to make you feel a bit better. But psychotherapy is different because it's based in a specific theory. So the type of psychotherapy that we do is called psychoanalytic psychotherapy, and that's based on psychoanalysis. So we're using theories um, that have been developed, and we are sticking to those when we practice and when we have patients. All of our interpretations, all of the techniques that we use, it's all based on psychoanalysis. So I think that's like the key difference. Yeah, and also another one is the the setting and the time phrase that you go to therapy for. Because um, as Lola said, it sounds more like a difference between ther- psychotherapy and counseling. And counseling, I dare say, is relatively short term. Like mm-hmm. you may go once a week or something for a few weeks or however long you need it, also maybe longer. But usually with psychotherapy and especially with psychoanalytic psychotherapy that we are being trained in when we where we also go to a therapist, that's a very high frequency setting. Like you usually have patients for years. You know, I mean, it's not necessarily that you have them for years, but it's also normal. Like Lola and I have both been in therapy for, I don't know, three, four years <laughs> in like a setting of two, three, four times a week. Like that's, of course, on the other scale that that's a lot but um, definitely psychotherapy is a long-term process um yeah it's it's a long-term process and it's I think yeah I think the the main difference is that I guess when you're counseling even some therapists I think it's very different in the U.S. this is gonna sound a little bit mean but um, in the U.S., there are just a lot more therapists, I feel, that are not really based in any theory. Um, but they still call themselves psychotherapists, so it is a bit confusing. But in Europe, you really have to be a specific modality of psychotherapy. When you're a psychotherapist, you stick to one modality. And I think that's a big difference between the US and Europe. Yeah. And also that's why we're um, in in our training, for example, like it's so long, like our training is so, yeah. so long. It's like at least six, seven, eight years because we are trained to not only, you know, give people advice, like potential patients, but actually to really just um, support them on a very long journey and be able to go in depth in their life history, in their issues, you know, not just see them on a superficial level, but really help them to kind of find out where their problems come from, what they might mean, etc. It's a pretty, like, it's, um, yeah, it's that's what at least psychoanalytic psychotherapy is like. And that's why the training is so long, because it's a very delicate work, or it can be at and least. And I was listening to one of your episodes recently where you were discussing how people don't really know what therapy, what, what mental health therapy is. Like, they don't know what they're paying for. Like, they go to therapy, mm-hmm. and they're hoping to get something out of it, but they don't really know what they're going to get or what they're supposed to give or what they get, or what they're paying for, and I, I, I felt this way when I was shopping for my own therapist the past year or so. That a lot of these counselors specialize in so many different things. <laughs> you go to her website: grief counseling, <laughs> couples therapy, depression, uh, 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 financial therapy, or confusion, or something. Each one of these things could be their own field, their own sector. But one person specializing in everything. So I always approach this with a bit of skepticism that one person 
can be mm-hmm. an expert in so many different things at once when I myself can't even understand one of them. So, so I think it's, an, I think, I thought that was a very interesting point of view and something that I think should be adopted in the U.S. I personally haven't seen psychotherapy specific programs in American schools ever. Yeah, that's why <laughs> yeah. I had to go to Europe. <laughs> I just haven't seen it. And I think we could really benefit from having some kind of actual school training here in the U.S. to really like revitalize Definitely. American mental health care. So uh, let's sort of get into the topic here. The topic is so now we just have a baseline of what is psychotherapy and and what's sort of lacking in American psychotherapy profession. Um, let's discuss the mental health effects of harassment for women in the workplace. And when we discuss sexual harassment, it's often described, and rightfully so, the result of social constructs. But I also think, but Mm -hmm. I also like to think about it as a form of sex discrimination, not unlike hiring somebody based on their gender or exclusionary tactics to isolate people based on their gender norms. Sexual harassment can have profound effects on a person's career and mental health, both short term and long term. And for anyone who has seen those really corny sexual harassment training videos at work, <laughs> the videos often present the harassment as wrong because it makes coworkers uncomfortable. Yeah. And such perfunctory lessons describe sexual harassment as interpersonal rather than structural. And this is where I think, I believe, the conversation would benefit from introducing a historical perspective. You know, sexual harassment is a form of sex discrimination which is made illegal. Uh, during the 1964 Civil Rights Act and reformed by the Supreme Court. And you know, historical narratives about a woman's participation in the labor force is a 200-year-long struggle for equality. In the same way we have modern-day protests for the vote, for life, for gun control, we have the same conversations about the imbalance of domestic labor, the gender pay gap, and importantly, the mental health burden of sexual harassment. And indeed, studies have shown that people who experience sexual harassment at work have significantly higher levels of depressive symptoms. A longitudinal study from 2011 surveyed 735 people over 14 years and deemed that harassment is a chronic stressor, putting workers under physical and mental stress in their day-to-day activity, and that harassment is a stressor that has positive that has a positive and linear relationship with depressive symptoms in both men and women. And you know, I believe that mental health is a challenge that affects everyone in every occupation and should be pursued with all seriousness and is often overlooked. So so with that, I'm wondering, let's say um let's say let's say Freud was still alive today. <laughs> and the last time I spoke of Freud was probably chapter one of Psych one oh one in my first year of undergrad. So, yeah. Well, he's happy to be back. Let's say Freud was <laughs> still alive today, I guess. What would he what are some psychoanalytic theories or your own view based on your training about a lot of these issues about harassment in the workplace? What do you think are the social or cultural norms that are detrimental to women's mental health? And feel free to just take it and run from there. Yeah, like the first thing that really, really stood out to me when I thought about this, because I never connected it to psychoanalysis, and I never really thought about that too much. But the first thing that really jumped out at me was um, these feelings that sexual harassment bring up, um, or sexual harassment brings up, is kind of evidence that if you look at it psychoanalytically, it's it's evidence that this is not new. This is not the first times or this is not something that came up when a woman started working. When things are so triggering and when things are so anxiety provoking and especially when they lead to mental health issues like depression, it really gives me the feeling that this is something that has been going on mm for this woman's whole life 
this is something that had to this is something that had to start much earlier if it's something that's so triggering to somebody and it especially because it brings up all these feelings these feelings of shame um, and guilt and embarrassment these are feelings that we experience very very young and for them to be so strong in somebody who experiences sexual harassment in the workplace it really gives me the feeling that this is something that these individuals have been experiencing throughout their lives through their teenage years um, through their early 20s even if they weren't in the workplace yet it's definitely something that is not new for them and that's definitely a reflection of the society that we live in because we say that it's it's workplace harassment but i think it's something much bigger than that it's something that women have to deal with for a long long time and it it kind of becomes more evident when you enter the workplace and when you want to have a certain role and when you want to be taken seriously you're reminded of the fact that you still have to go through like you still have to go through these things that you have been experiencing your whole life yeah i think in that sense um it's true what lola just said because it's not just what happens now it's like it must have started much earlier and i think a lot of it is just also connected to how we are brought up also in a societal way you know what i mean it's like even as teenagers or some something we find we hear like you know how to dress what to wear what not to wear what to expect why we have to be careful etc and i think from a very early age on many many women get the feeling that it will like it, it is their fault you know it's their responsibility what you're putting out there um is what you're gonna get in that sense um but i think it's interesting what you asked about freud and what he would say because Freud, when he started uh, his whole psychoanalytic theory, he mainly worked with female patients, actually. And that's when he kind of came up with his theories on hysteria and he wrote all this theory on the unconscious, etc., which would later be, you know, his very renowned and like big theories that we still kind of believe in. And he mainly started working with female patients and he he basically found out that many of them ha had had a trauma of sorts that had been repressed and that kind of had led to whatever issue they had come to him with. M many of them were more like conversion symptoms or what he called hysteria, so physical symptoms. So I think, um, again, there it's the problem was much earlier, like it had started much, much earlier and it just had been repressed and it was feelings of guilt and shame, etc., that were stored in the unconscious and that then led to a certain kind of neurosis. I think if Freud were alive today, he would be shocked at the yeah. level of neurosis that everyone he is in. I think he, he would um, be shocked. Actually, Lola and I once had the idea of like this show where Freud is alive again and he walks around and like, <laughs> what would he say to everything? Like, I don't know, it would be interesting, but I think it would kind of almost um, confirm his theories, to be honest, in many ways. Definitely. I think it's basically evidence um, because of the reactions that women have towards sexual harassment. It's basically evidence that this sexual harassment is triggering early traumas. And these early traumas, they're traumas because of the society that we live in. They're traumas because of what we're told. They're traumas of what we've learned is correct and incorrect. So it's definitely a reflection of something that is on a much, much larger scale. I think when you're commenting about um, culture and how women are brought up yeah like that's so interesting because when you mention that there's a there's a triggering event and triggering events i feel like is a very commonly used term in therapy where either you're let's say you're afraid of spiders and you go to a therapist because you don't want to be afraid of spiders anymore but there are things in your life 
that remind you of spiders. And every time something comes up that looks like a spider, you, you freak out and have like an anxiety attack or, or something. And so triggering events, let, let me make sure I understand. Would you say that women who are traumatized by by workplace incident had like an early trauma in their childhood or adolescence that that primed them to to respond in a certain way in the workplace or well i think it's close but i think more of like what we're saying is that because of the way that women are brought up even as really small children um we all i mean i think everybody has traumas really yeah every single person we all repress things that were uncomfortable for us or yeah, we that use, we were unable to yeah, deal with and we use the term trauma in psychoanalysis we use it in a bit of a different way it doesn't necessarily have to be something major or huge you know everyone has trauma it's just it's a very subjective experience mm-hmm. that can to others seem very small but in psychoanalysis we call it trauma as well yeah so i think what what i was saying was more like Sexual harassment triggers a woman's, and also men, it triggers our traumas of being brought up in this world that we had to face when we were way younger than we would imagine. Because these these extreme emotions that come up when I, I was reading um, some of the articles that you sent us, these emotions that these women are going through, it's not possible, in my opinion, that the emotions are kind of in reaction to isolated events. This has to be something that they've been dealing with for a very, very long time. Something chronic, like a chronic stressor. And something that's not called, you know, workplace harassment, something that I don't know, a woman as a five-year-old child saw or heard or experienced that kind of began this theme that she would have to kind of live with and go through no matter how old she got. And, you know, also as women, we think that at a certain age, when we find a career, when we get a job, we can finally escape that. And at least with me and some a lot of people that I've spoken to, we have this kind of hope that when we're professionals that we'll be taken seriously and that people will respect us. And when we find out that that's not the case, I think it reminds you of a lot of stuff that you had to deal with growing up. Uh, I guess I'm asking, um, I'm also asking like, what are some some of these chronic triggers that one would experience in early adulthood or childhood that or adolescence that may eventually manifest into into reactions that you're referring to what are some of these stressors can they be tied to current events or modern times or historical norms are there what are they and can they be tied to modern times or modern things that are happening? Let's say you're a kid growing up in the, in the two thousands to the 2010s or 2020s. And this is recent history. We know, uh, we had me too movements. We had Harvey Weinstein, governor Cuomo and Donald (laughs) Trump, like all these people, all these people who are abusers, all these men who are abusers of women growing up in this narrative as a young woman in modern times, can these be triggers? Why are they triggers? And how would one cope with these triggers such that when you reach adulthood, you understand your feelings better, I guess, if I'm asking this question right? Mm -hmm. I think um, just to start here, I think a trigger can be anything. It like it, doesn't matter you cannot just objectively say 
you know, this and this is a trigger because we are all wired so differently and we're all brought up completely differently. And we would say, you know, we all have a different level of neurosis. We all have different fixations. So my trigger will not be your trigger in a sense. It also very much depends on the different levels of maturity we see in people, psychodynamically speaking. Um, what kind of defense mechanisms are they using unconsciously? You know, how is their their personality structure? Like how today the word resilience is often used, which we don't really use in psychoanalysis, but I think here it's very applicable. You know, we all have very different levels of resilience in that sense. So therefore we can also be triggered by different things. Um, in psychoanalysis, we definitely have theories about certain traumas, especially in early childhood, that kind of affect us all, such as the Oedipal phase, you know, ideas of your parents having sex, etc. But for many people, that's just, you know, that sounds extremely weird to think of as like a potential trauma. Um, but I think generally, um, we just all have very different um, personality structures and very different histories. And therefore, anything can can trigger anyone. You know, yeah, I, I think also maybe it's helpful to give like an example of what could be traumatic to a child because it mm -hmm. sounds it sounds very hard to understand kind of now that I'm thinking about it. So just an example of um, a trauma, let's say for a little girl, uh, it could be something as small as. Um, no, you can't play with the boys. You're a girl. Go clean up. Um, and these things are so subtle. They're so subtle. But it starts this life that you yeah. go through. And then let's say something happens in your workplace and somehow that memory comes back to you or is triggered. It's so painful because it's from so so early when you when you didn't have you know the the tools and the knowledge and the education to stand up for yourself or understand that things were not fair and i think it could be the same thing for a man it could be a little boy who's told no you can't cry you have to be strong like you're a man so when you talk about sexual harassment, also with men, it can be extremely painful and it could be filled with shame because a man is supposed to be strong and they're supposed to protect themselves and they would they shouldn't let these things happen to them. Exactly. And it's these small experiences or traumas that probably many people don't even remember having experienced because they are uncomfortable and therefore they are stored in our unconscious, but they are very active there. They influence us throughout our entire life. And so what Lola says then later when something actually happens that might trigger this and other experiences, all of a sudden you feel their impact. And that definitely also is related to um, society and to cultural norms because I mean, just speaking from my experience through also going through therapy, you know, you kind of start remembering a lot of things. And I remembering, uh, I remember, for example, hearing comments like, um, yeah, kind of along the lines what Lola just gave the example of, um, you know, growing up with brothers, it was more like, oh, Carla is such a boy, you know, she's not a, she's not a girl, which at that time, wasn't that that um, big of a deal I don't didn't even remember it but now I very much remember it and I feel the impact of these experiences on me and how I am how I perceive myself how I present myself now yeah and also to answer your question about how to kind of I don't want to say solve but how to deal with this and how to kind of treat this chronic issue and we are psychoanalysts so i will say the psychoanalytic solution <laughs> go to and, psychoanalysis <laughs> so that is always always to go back and figure out mm. the root of why this is so painful to you because it's not the isolated experience that you're having now it's never that this is touching something very very 
deep inside of you that is a cause and like a place that you don't want to go to that's very painful but you need to figure out where it's coming from and part of that is also another topic that we're discussing here it's part of that is understanding the cultural implications that your upbringing had on you so part of that is understanding what was expected of you and what information was fed to you Mm. so it's not only understanding what happened to like inside of you it's understanding the combination of how you felt when those early traumas happened to you and also how others treated you or reacted to you. And it's interesting how you mentioned that these small experiences and these traumas can't that happen over a long period of time can eventually manifest into a bigger cultural norm. And even now, like, when I want to like watch TV or watch a movie or something and the setting is, is, I don't know, is like an office setting about some business movie that takes place on wall street or some, some tech company movie. The female characters are often relegated to really mundane tasks in the office setting, such as, I don't know, uh, ordering the breakfast for the workers mm-hmm. or, or fetching the coffee or organizing the birthday party or taking minutes at meetings. These often like thankless tasks that, that are relegated to women in the workplace and, and the men as well have described their female colleagues in their work settings in the U S at least as like, as like second shifts for their female workers as office wives where they have to, order the stuff and make the minutes and these really mundane tasks that for some reason they see as uniquely suited for women. We see it in movies all the time. And a lot, there's like a lot of fake science, like really fake science that describes women, women's ability yeah. to do these jobs. Like I was, I was listening to another podcast once with Conan O'Brien and he was interviewing Hillary Clinton and she was describing a time when she was in school, when she was a little girl, during her like physical education class, <laughs> and and she and the girls weren't allowed to balance the basketball more than th- more than three times because science said it was bad for a woman's heart. Whoa! <laughs> and like, okay, they're they're allowed to bounce the, bounce the basketball up to three times, but not four times. But then they're allowed to give birth to multiple children. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But but it's. I feel like um, uh, this is like sort of the result of years of permeating Mm -hmm. uh, these traumas and small changes until it eventually becomes what is culturally acceptable in a workplace. And for me, like this has always been, it's always been really weird for me to look at these settings and to look at the, the role of women and men and women in the workplace and seeing these these roles so established because Mm -hmm. me, I I grew up with a single mother and I'm used to seeing women in leadership roles and taking charge and making decisions and, 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 and calling the shots and, and being the leader as an adult and having like a normal job and seeing what is American work culture on TV. It doesn't, it's not tied to like, any of my own personal experiences. And so for this reason, I've always felt like it was really weird. Like it's, it's really evident by the way you're describing your upbringing that you respect women and that you don't agree with this, but you can see it just in the way that you're describing the way that you grew up because you had a single mother Mm. who showed you that she did have power and that she could make her own decisions. You, feel that women are capable of doing that so it is really really subjective yeah it's whatever you grew up with almost um or you see um that is your normality that you will later also you know understand as your normality i think 
but like what's what's interesting like it's like um when someone goes through this trauma you can't you, you can't say that this is your this is your normal this is what your normal is if somebody just came out of a really traumatic experience and triggering experience right like if you can't just uh what the accusers of politicians or whoever who calls them out for touching them the wrong way or denying them promotions or giving them mundane jobs we can't you can't go around and say that well there was something that happened to you when you were really young that is making you trigger in this certain type of way there has to be some kind of justice of here somewhere and i think um the point is is it's it actually doesn't affect the wrongness of the act it's just an explanation of why mm. people suffer tremendously from it like why people suffer so much from it but it it doesn't actually comment on how wrong the act is itself. Yeah, and because because yeah. you can have a situation. I wanted to also like describe the other possibility, which, in my opinion, it means that these people have been through a lot of trauma. If you think about a situation where I'm just going to make up a scenario, but a woman um, has a a very, very strong um, identity and a very solid upbringing and with, with little doubt and let's just say not much trauma. If something like this happens to a person like that, they will have much less of a problem standing up and saying, hey, this is objectively wrong and I am not okay with this. And I think that just proves, because that doesn't happen much, that just proves that women have been dealing with so much shit that's so much more than just this, this one case of sexual harassment. The reason why we're so, it's so complex is because it's like another situation that has happened to us on top of so many others. But if this was like an isolated event and if it did happen to someone who hadn't gone through anything similar before, I feel that they would have a much easier time saying, hey, this is wrong and I'm not okay with this. Is it possible to have like intergenerational chronic stress? Yes, definitely. 100%. Mm. And would you say that... Uh, you mentioned that this has been going on for so long, which is true. Let's say somebody who's in their early 20s, relatively young, would you say that this person is capable of experiencing the trauma of their mother or grandmother or peer, her peers and also like respond as if they have been this experiencing these stressors a lot longer than they actually have can you describe intergenerational chronic stress and what role that may play here i mean i'm not an expert in this field but we know that transgenerational trauma is a huge topic and it's a real thing and there's you know thankfully it's a field that's being much more explored at the moment um but we just we know that very often especially when it comes to very collective large traumas that really affect an entire generation you know it's very often even the the generation after them or the second third generation that still feels the impact of the trauma just as almost as bad as the first generation some people even worse which is very interesting um and i think it's because you know trauma is not only something that basically breaks down your entire psyche and defense mechanisms, but it's actually also something that is stored in your DNA and thus given to the next generation, etc. 
so it definitely can have an effect um, and it doesn't necessarily need, need to be a huge collective uh, trauma spreading over a whole generation so um oh wait i can add to the to the generational thing so yeah so we so we're all aware of the importance of and value of studying transgender generational trauma and the fact that it is a real thing and we can see that scientifically which you're more of an expert in than we are but i think even if you think about it way more simply um i'm jewish my family are holocaust survivors i had to grow up listening to these stories i had to grow up thinking every day that i need to be grateful i need to be thankful um that could have been me mm. and i think when you when you're born expected to have a mindset like that just personally i think that i i let a lot more bullshit happen to me just because i think like no i don't want to be dramatic i don't want to make a big deal out of things i had to listen to people's stories who really suffered so i don't want to complain or burden anybody with let's say somebody touched me inappropriately i just feel like it's not important enough because of my transgenerational trauma and what has happened with my family history and i think it's probably very similar with a lot of people they just they grew up dealing with so much and learning so much about what their family went through it just doesn't feel important enough Mm. Mm. that's interesting and that's so like um that really uh like uh, like touched me on the inside (laughs) (laughs) because uh because i think about that all the time like whenever i i i do experience some kind of relative hardship or difficulty i think about the traumas of my family and my my grandparents' families came as indentured servants from India to the West Indies, and they were given given six hundred British pounds mm-hmm. to, to to start a new life in a foreign and unfamiliar land, and they never went back. And they basically they grew up dirt poor uh, until they moved to New York, and that's where, and that's like a story I'm always thinking about because whenever I feel like someone out there is suffering uh or whenever there's or whenever i feel like i'm achieving something or doing something great or or thinking i made it i always think about these stories and i and i and i get rehumbled and recentered because i know so many others started with far less and that i should be thankful for the little for the little victories and the little achievements that happen to me no matter how small they are because a lot of other people don't have that and and my mom would tell me these stories about like I remember I remember not having like really nice shoes as a kid and I'll go to my mom and say mom like can I have some fresh sneakers please and she's like uh just be happy you got shoes because you know the boy down the street don't even got socks and then you know the next boy down the street don't even got feet so <laughs> just be happy exactly. you got shoes on your feet and just be happy exactly. with what you got <laughs> yeah and imagine if you're a woman imagine if you're a woman and you come from like a family who has a traumatic history or a history of struggle and you get a job, you know, some women are the first generations to have careers in their families. And why would they risk losing their jobs to say that something, you know, I don't, I don't want to make it sound smaller than it is because it's not, it's completely unfair, but I think I, I understand where the hesitation comes from. Mm. It's like, I've worked so hard to achieve what I've achieved. I don't want to lose it by coming out and saying that something happened that made me uncomfortable. It's almost like we sacrifice that 
just to make up for what our families have been working for and suffering for. And this, I think, is a big societal issue that we have to overcome where individuals tend to feel like they can't come up and come out and speak out uh, about their work without putting their job or their health at risk uh, or whatever else. And and this, I think, is a major challenge that will take some time to overcome, <clears throat> but I think is worth it, and we have to work hard to achieve that. So the last uh, topic I want to get to before we wrap up is is still about chronic stress, but instead of the manifestation in the mental health, I would like to discuss how these chronic stressors can manifest in the physical health, where you are, uh, these mental health burdens that you may experience, and I'm not sure if these are covered in your studies or not, it's kind of an experimental topic for me as well, mm-hmm. where y- your mental health issues when you're under chronic stress can eventually adversely affect your physical health. So for example, Oh yes, <laughs> definitely. So <for> example, <laughs> definitely. Uh, something that really bothers me in the scientific literature is when the literature describes a certain race of people that are prone to disease, like black Americans, mm-hmm. black Americans, for example, they're like, Oh, you know, black people being black is a risk factor for cardiac disease or high blood pressure or schizophrenia or something like that. Uh, and I never really felt, I never really liked that language because it describes their, their medical predispositions, their skin color as a risk factor for their medical predispositions. When in reality, their, um, their health is more of a result of the chronic stressors of being black in America, watching for the cops all constantly, uh, being portrayed on TV as the villains or lesser, uh, dealing with their own family history, dealing with the their brothers getting killed by the by the police. These are chronic stressors that manifest in their health more so than their skin color. But unfortunately, the scientific literature describes it as their skin color being a risk factor. So, can you describe how some of these chronic stressors? women in our community are feeling and how this may manifest in detrimental physical health? Yeah, I think um, this is the topic of psychosomatics is very interesting and very big in also our studies and also our own um, therapy. I know for a fact, our lives, our lives, but not on that uh, big scale. Um, So basically when your you could say that when your psyches kind of is not able to process something to f- fully then very often it's kind of um displaced on the body and kind of the body has to deal with whatever whatever is going on in your unconscious and that's what we call psychosomatic issues in psychoanalysis at least um I actually, I actually recently read a very interesting studies about a psychosomatic view on infertility um for young women and there is a big field kind of doing research in that, which I think is very interesting. And I, for example, could very much imagine that um, if women really have experienced uh, traumatic events, harassment, something like that, and it really affects them, um, that could definitely also have an impact on that later in life or even their sexual functioning later in life. Um but it also depends on the on the person. And again, I think when we see people having certain somatic issues and we believe that it could be connected to the psyche, we in psychoanalysis, we believe that the part of the body where the issue lies is somewhat connected. There, there is a symbolic meaning to that. And in order to find out what that meaning is, we again kind of have to go back to like earlier times and found, find out what happened there why this part of the body, etc. Yeah, I think um, physical physical issues when it comes to stress. To me, when it's something physical, it's almost an indicator that it's something much more severe. So it's something much more unbearable for the person. Mm. 
because usually when you go through something and even if it's traumatic for you, even if it's hard, um, it can be worked out and it can be spoken about because you can find language. And in that case, it's something that you can get through. But I think when something presents itself physically on the body, it means that the person finds it so unbearable that they wouldn't even be able to put it into language. And I think that's really an indicator that this is something very, very serious. And it's something that is making the person suffer tremendously. And yeah, it's really interesting because in psychoanalysis, we do think that the the place where the person is affected on the body is very symbolic. Um, so I would say it would be really interesting to find out physical symptoms of people who experience sexual harassment, in, especially in the workplace. But I think it would be very, very hard to connect. Mm. And kind of maybe making that connection again to history um, and talking about Freud. We did an episode on hysteria, which is nowadays what we, what we would call a more of a conversion symptom, which is what Freud kind of started his, his psychoanalytic career with. And he basically saw all these women having these somatic issues, like in the body, you know, paralyzed arms, legs, um, extreme migraines, etc., and through treatment and psychoanalysis, these symptoms went away, which is why everyone thought, you know, Freud is like a miracle worker. But he basically found out that these women have extreme traumas, most of them of sexual nature. And once he got to the bottom of the trauma with the patients, then the physical symptom would like go away. But again, I also think it's interesting that this diagnosis per se doesn't exist anymore today mm -hmm. because again, culturally speaking, something has definitely changed. And back then the repression about um, these sexual traumas, which was probably was definitely way in more intense because you could never even speak about sex, your sexuality, yeah. nothing. And today, you know, we still have a long way to go. But of course, comparing nowadays to like 1900, it's not even a comparison. So I think that also has a huge impact on how these illnesses change and how their development changes and these diagnoses. Yeah, I also, I was just thinking about um, psychosomatics specifically about the workplace and it's actually so interesting and it would be so fascinating to look deeper into it because in psychoanalysis, uh, we think that every symptom has a benefit. So even, even though symptoms are negative, every symptom, there's something beneficial about it. Something about it is useful to you. And when it comes to sexual harassment in the workplace and psychosomatics, if you have a physical illness, that will take you away from the workplace. Mm, true. So I would think that many people who suffer from sexual harassment in the workplace definitely develop physical symptoms because that is almost a way for them to either get a break from the workplace or just get out of it yeah when you say benefit do you mean like a involuntary defense mechanism so there's yeah so like a coping mechanism no so there's a reason for every symptom so in this case you would become physically ill because when you become sick then you don't have to go to work yeah it's like it's it's it's, it's completely unconscious it's it's yeah. not on purpose it's completely unconscious but every symptom has a benefit yeah, we call it a secondary gain in psychoanalysis. It's almost like that typical scenario when a kid has like, um, you know, tummy issues and maybe it's really hurtful and like not good for them, but also they don't have to go to school. <laughs> so it there is a certain gain to it. But as Lola said, it's completely unconscious to the person. But yeah, that makes me think that it's definitely, definitely very very prevalent in people who are suffering in the workplace that's very very interesting and it really reminds me of uh 
<laughs> in my research, we look at immune responses, brain immune responses, and a lot of the time, the immune response that happens to brain damage is actually not beneficial. It actually makes the disease worse or can can exacerbate. And this, I think, when you say that the secondary gain can be beneficial, I think of it as like a, like a, an involuntary immune response where your body's now reacting to this trauma mm-hmm. to get you out of it. Exactly. Except this trauma is behavioral or or maybe not necessarily it's not an immune response it's a different kind of response to get you out of the situation and that's like very common in every possible scenario um it's very very interesting and i can see what you mean when you say it's it's deeply ingrained in a person's behavior yeah just to give a really disgusting example yeah like let's go <laughs> yo we kept it pretty pg-13 this whole well, time well remember we might get new it's listeners for, for, um, for our podcast from this <laughs> so just to give a really disgusting example which is definitely the case with me whenever i'm in a bad relationship i get crazy rashes Oh, yeah, the neurotic rash. I get get very, very bad rashes. And then, of course, that guy is not going to find me very attractive. So it's almost like my body being like, nope, step away. Yeah. And for me, it's while we're at it, (laughs) because I think it's so interesting. Um, I get this. I've talked about I've talked about this on our podcast, but I get this patch of discoloration on my arm. Whenever I spend a lot of time with my family, like it's not even a joke, <laughs> like it's 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 so bizarre, but it is a fact. When I'm on vacation or something with my family, after a week, I literally look like a, there's a part of my skin that is a very different color, and you can really tell. And for me, it's always this thing like you stand out. You know, you're not the same as as the others. It's I don't know. It's very you weird. Know, the theory, the modern day theory of how people, uh, how about how we flake on people? For me, it's like, it's like me when I when I don't want to go on a date with somebody, I just get all of a sudden I just get really busy. All of a sudden, my schedule's really full with actual stuff that I have to do. <laughs> but see, but see, but that's the difference between you and us because you're busy and we got rashes. <laughs> so yeah. you're good. You're good. <laughs> you know, I, I just spontaneously get really busy in a bunch of work, and so it's not, you know, it's not my date's fault. It's my fault. So, <laughs> so with that, um, so. You know, how would somebody get in touch with you? What's your Instagram? What's your Twitter? Let's say somebody has more questions for you. How do they get in touch with you? So we would really, really appreciate that. Um, if you guys kind of want to hear more about psychotherapy in general and also psychoanalysis. And we don't only talk theory. Like we, we do a mix of theory and just ranting. And also we talk a lot about our experiences going to therapy, which a lot of people love hearing. And we have an Instagram, it's called mytherapistsaid.podcast, where we post stuff and also we post about our episodes there. And our episodes are on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we post, uh, <laughs> we post a new episode every Sunday. Yeah, also we love any requests comments so we're very interactive so also if you like want people to make an episode about something that you want to hear just hit us up and we'll do it exactly thanks again for coming on guys it was so much fun let's do it again sometime thanks so much thank you so much Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Thoughts, Science and Social Justice. I love this series all about mental health. If you have any cool topics that you want to bring up or you yourself want to come through, feel free to hit me up on Instagram, deep underscore thoughts underscore podcast on Instagram, or shoot me an email at deepthoughtsinterview at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. 
love doing this podcast. It's a lot of fun. And if you have any cool topics, let me know. Stay tuned for next time. Thank you very much.